Hi, I'm Brooke States and welcome to Regen, the podcast that speaks to leaders from across the SAP and SAP partner ecosystem to gain an understanding of the priorities, challenges and opportunities that are dominating our working lives. On the last episode, we heard from Timo Elliott, Global Innovation Evangelist at SAP, and Mark Haberland, CEO at Claruba Sedor, who I met ahead of the partner innovation meeting in Dubai. And while I was in the Middle East, I also found the time to sit down with Supriya Jha, Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at SAP. It was instructive to get her thoughts on the progress made within diversity and inclusion at SAP, and the steps that still need to be made. We spoke about unconscious bias, cross-generational collaboration, and what a fair and transparent recruitment process looks like. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Sabria. How are you? Awesome. Thank you very much for having me here. Thanks. It's my first time in Dubai. Is it your first time? No. This is my second time in Dubai, and I tell you, this is such a beautiful city. Everyone must definitely visit it once, if not as many times. It's a great place. I almost feel like this is home. Yeah. No, beautiful city. And I can't wait to hear your insights tomorrow at the Partner Innovation Meeting, which I know you're here for. So let's kick things off. We hear a lot about diversity and inclusion in business, but what does a truly inclusive workplace look like to you? So let me tell you a little bit of a story around why I got into diversity and inclusion. That will help you place the context of why diversity and inclusion is important for a business and what does it really look like. So when I landed in the US about 19 years ago, I came from India and had been raised in the country with a lot of beautiful values and all of that. Landed in the country and immediately started feeling out of place and uh, spent a couple of years in the beginning going to my second master's, adjusting in a new workplace environment and all of that. And I tried very hard to fit in and from time to time felt like I was an outsider. That led me to many a times lower my voice, blend myself into the background mm-hmm. of the organization I was working in and kind of gradually disappear out of the system. It led me to feel minimized and it led me to feel like I would not be heard. And that kind of tells you why diversity and inclusion is important. I, as somebody who is from the minority, a woman, Asian, very few you know, women like me were in HR at that point in time, I felt like my voice would not be important and not be heard. And so I stopped contributing. I stopped giving it my best shot. So I think a truly inclusive workplace ultimately gives people like me and everyone else the opportunity to be their full selves, <laughs> to be their best selves in the context of the workplace. And that is what organizations should be aiming for when they think about inclusion. Let everyone bring their best selves to work, give people the celebration and the recognition for being whoever they are with whatever identities they want to bring to the table and want to bring to the organization. If we bring it into the context of SAP, what progress has been made by DNI within SAP and globally? And what areas do you feel like still need to be addressed? I'm sure you know this, I've been at SAP for uh, just about over a year now. Yes. And I'm very thrilled to be here because in my seat, I have learned quite a lot about the progress SAP has made on diversity and inclusion. We have had a focus on DNI for over a decade now. And thank you to all my predecessors who've laid the foundations on this topic. This company has progressed from a place of gradually building awareness to building commitment and now almost 
actively going intentionally after the action. I feel very proud of the fact that we are being bold and courageous to face our opportunities, to face our limitations and work on them. And mm -hmm. I think that is a sign of progress, that we as a company are willing to face the reality, where we are willing to face the challenge of, you know, progress, of facing where the barriers lie and, you know, working towards limiting those barriers, eliminating them, bridging the gaps and chasing goals that feel very, very ambitious at this point in time to us. So I think that's a very big sign of progress. In general, I would say, while the awareness and the commitment and the intentionality is, has been built in, we are still far away from reaching our ambitions around gender parity, for instance. As a company, we have over 35% women in the workforce. We are hitting our goals around, or close to hitting our goals around women in management ranks. But that's not parity, right? So there's work to be done there. There's work to be done around building up attraction strategies, building up retention strategies for underrepresented folks around the world. And I think that is a challenge that's not just uh, SAPs only, that's a challenge that everyone in, in this particular you know, environment currently definitely has. Women have been exiting the workforce, according to a McKinsey study that was released recently, at a far higher rate than in the past. And so we really need to be intentional around how we attract and retain our women and other underrepresented folks. Absolutely. Well, obviously, it's still a, a huge work in progress for SAP, but why should we be bothered about it? Why does it strengthen a business? I don't want to pitch all the business case to you because I, <laughs> I think a lot of your viewers today probably know it very well already. Yeah. But diversity and inclusion has great outcomes from a return on investment perspective for organizations, companies that actively work towards diversity and inclusion, have better outcomes for from a business standpoint. But I think the one that strikes me as being the most important is the entire experience of the workforce. An organization that is committed to diversity and inclusion creates an environment where everyone is more productive, can bring their best ideas, can bring their most creative, innovative ideas, and have that sense of fulfillment as well. That experience is essential to creating the outcomes that ultimately flow out to our clients, to our stakeholders, to the world in general, and help us deliver on our purpose of helping the world run better every single day. So from that standpoint, I feel there's a huge value to focusing on this stuff. Something that crops up quite a lot when talking about diversity and inclusion is unconscious bias. Because I even found when I had a little go at hiring uh, my intern replacement that it was so easy to hire someone really like-minded. So how much of a challenge is it to identify unconscious bias in a business? And what steps can an organization take to eliminate this? I think it's absolutely not easy. No. <laughs> it, it's very tough. It's tough to identify where unconscious bias is seeping into your system, into your people practices, simply because we as human beings are naturally driven towards looking at what is good. Mm -hmm. What is most comfortable for us? What is easier on our mental energies, right? We look at hiring people who are like us, who might have gone to similar universities, yeah. you know, might have come from the same country, speak the same language, maybe have similar kind of skill sets as well, right? 
And that we do because we feel like it's easier on us from an energy standpoint, from an understanding standpoint. We probably will gel well together if we are from the same environment and so on. And we tend to look at that as being the right thing for our businesses and our teams. But the challenge is, if this perpetuates, if it continues, it ultimately will lead to, you know, very large homogenous population. Now, how do you actually find it in the system and say you've got an unconscious bias interrupting your people process? The way you do it is by assessing numbers. So you look at, for instance, the ultimate outcomes in terms of promotion parity, in terms of pay equity for your people, in terms of how women and other underrepresented folks are showing up at every level of the organization, not just at the entry point, but at every level up to the top of the house, even up to the board. So for instance, at SAP, our supervisory board has 50% women. Our senior most executive ranks are women in management, for instance, which we I just mentioned, we've got a goal of uh, hitting 30% by uh, the end of this year. We need to keep an eye on those numbers to make sure that unconscious bias is not leading to those people decisions that stop people from going into those levels or ranks. Systems in, in general need to be assessed to identify where the challenge could be showing up. So I'll give you the example of the hiring process, for instance. From this point of attraction of the candidate to the point of selection, if you are not keeping an eye on how broad is your talent pool that you're advertising a job to, or whether people who are underrepresented are able to cross the screening process, go into the in interviewing process and so on. If you don't measure that, if you don't assess that, you will not be able to find the bias in the system. You can only assume and hypothesize that, you know, it exists. But measurement is key. Thereafter, intervention is the next step. You will put in place systems that will stop that bias. And thereafter, you build in action. The action will be, that you will have a process, for instance, in the hiring setup where more inclusive interviews will be held, more inclusive job descriptions will be defined. It's just interesting to me that there's such a structured response for this. There's a protocol that people can actually start following rather than generically, oh, let's try not to be biased. But That's a good yeah. point. In general, people can you know, wish away the fact that there's unconscious bias. Why is cross-generational collaboration important when it comes to problem solving and decision making? Because I've heard a lot in All Hands calls recently, like the term like reverse mentoring has been thrown around. So what is your take on that? I tell you, I learned from my 14-year-old every single day. Oh, really? <laughs> two daughters, 14 and 10 now, and they both teach me so much. There is a lot of value when it comes to learning from different generations. We have got five generations in the workplace today at SAP. Each one of them has gone through a different era in terms of history, in terms of you know, sociopolitical changes that they have seen. And all of them informs their worldview. All of them informs their thoughts, their perspectives, the ideas that, you know, that they bring to the table. And if we are not able to pull from all of our generations their best ideas, we won't be able to create the most innovative products and the most creative kind of outcomes for our clients and stakeholders. So it's absolutely essential that we leverage the best ideas from a variety of generations and introduce a concept of reverse mentoring in a very meaningful and intentional fashion across our whole organization, across industry in general. So yeah, you have my vote up for cross-generation. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I'm learning a lot from you today. Yay. <laughs> and I'm sure we are from different generations. <laughs>
yeah, all about getting that unique perspective. Because I know a lot of people have asked me my opinion, because I'm a, an intern at SAP. I've only been here sort of 16 months. And senior execs are asking, well, what do you think? And I think that's so important, because in meetings, you're often talking to the same people. Yeah. And who knows who's going to come up with this fresh idea? You have viewed the world from a very different perspective than I did, for instance. Mm -hmm. Growing up, of course, from a different country perspective, from a different time perspective also, all of those ideas inform not just how we think about the world, but how we operate in it every day. Mm. So it's absolutely essential that you exchange your ideas in an open fashion with everyone. Absolutely. So when thinking about recruitment, not just of young people, but all generations, what does a fair and transparent hiring process look like? Yeah, I'm sure my talent acquisition peer will uh, ding me on this, but I'll try <laughs> to do my best in giving the right answer. I think uh, a very fair and transparent hiring process basically starts with looking at the broadest pool of candidates. Many times, like we were discussing before, we tend to gravitate towards people who are like us, who are in our own inner circles, you know, our own professional circles or friends circles and so on. But the objective should be to look at the broadest possible pool of candidates from a variety of generations, variety of regions, countries and so on, and get the most diverse people into the group so that you can select the best talent out of it. The ultimate objective at the end of the day is to hire the best person for the job. But we tend to get limited because we look at only certain pools of individuals that we consider potentially being the best. Our biases come in the way. So limiting bias at every stage of the hiring process should be an objective from a fairness standpoint. And you'll need to start with the broadest pool. Then you'll need to make sure that when the candidate faces your organization, they see people who also look like them at some stage of the process, because that kind of determines whether they will be motivated to come to your organization, whether they will feel motivated enough to see a career path mm -hmm. for themselves. Thirdly, I think when it comes to assessment of candidates, it's very important to make sure all candidates are assessed with the same kind of ruler. The questions that they are asked, the kind of testing that they are subjected to, all of that should be the same for everyone. There shouldn't be any kind of discrepancy there. And ultimately, when it comes to the final step in the process and in the decision making, we need to make sure that we approach it with an unbiased point of view while keeping in mind our culture and how individuals will add to our culture and not need to fit it. Every human being who is coming to our organization is adding value of some kind from the diversity of their perspectives, thoughts, identities, and backgrounds. And we need to appreciate that to be able to give that, you know, inclusive environment to them. So sometimes if we feel biased in our minds because of, you know, all of our ideas, we need to interrupt it. And I like that SAP has this perspective from the top down because from a young person's perspective starting out their career, if the, if the company I'm working for aligns with my values, mm -hmm. I'm much more likely to stay in the company more longer term. Your motivation increases for sure. If we bring the focus to leadership, how do you ensure that there's a fair and inclusive route to leadership from a like, promotional aspect? I think a lot of people with the increase of our conversations around diversity and inclusion have started getting the perception there are limited opportunities, that my job will be taken away if, you know, woman candidate is, is applying or all of the stock of diversity and inclusion is leading to, you know, limited opportunities for the majority. I want to first correct that misperception. The objective 
of diversity and inclusion in general is to make sure that the pie increases, is to make sure that everyone is given a fair chance. The roles that people hold currently are not being threatened in any way, but what we're asking for is that people start thinking about their decisions in an unbiased fashion. So when we think about fairness in terms of progression, we look at how we are, for instance, looking at promotions, looking at compensation, looking at you know career development opportunities, learning and training opportunities, access to senior leaders, visibility to a variety of projects in the organization and all of that with an unbiased lens. And every level of the organization needs to be assessed for that. So the viewers have probably heard about pay equity analysis that is done for you know, a variety of jobs in an organization. We also now, for instance, do a promotions analysis where we measure the rate of promotions between men and women. And if they are equitable, we consider it a go ahead. And if they're not equitable, we try and figure out what is the root cause of there being a discrepancy or an inequity in our process. And if, for instance, our underrepresented folks, women, people of color, folks who have different abilities, if they are feeling limited in terms of their career development, learning opportunities, visibility, mentoring, and sponsorship opportunities, we create equitable interventions so that they have a fair chance at progression as well. But measurement is the first step in all of this. What more can SAP be doing to help their partners improve their diversity and inclusion? Thank you for asking that question. I think SAP has a huge responsibility to support its partners in every way. And from a DNI standpoint, I think we have a couple of different ideas and opportunities for our partners. One is to learn from our own story, from our best practices, from our challenges as well. We are openly sharing many a times our strategy is for enhancing diversity and inclusion in our company. I encourage our partners to look at the first ever diversity and inclusion report, which we launched earlier this year. It tells you the strategy that we have. It tells you how we're trying to get to our aspirations. So that's one. The second is we've got some programs, for instance, where we create resources and tools for our stakeholders to you know, take advantage of. So one of them is, for instance, the Autism Inclusion Pledge, which is a very focused program that supports organizations to start on their journey around autism inclusion, to welcome people who are on the spectrum into their organizations. And we've got a variety of tools that can help managers and leaders welcome you know, people on the spectrum into their organization. You share that openly, there is no cost to it. I encourage our partners to sign up for the Autism Inclusion Pledge and be a part of that movement. And the third is I think we actively consult and advise our partners and our general ecosystem around you know the topics that we know best dni is one of them and for instance with the partner executive council that we have or the advisory councils that we have we actively share um, you know best practices and ideas dni is going to be added to you know that list of topics as well and i personally will say i'm always available for anyone who wants to learn more about this space this requires continuous learning we learn from each other and we learn every single day. I tell you now that I'm here in Dubai, I had many assumptions about what life in Dubai would look like for a person like me who's from India, you know, grew up in India. And all of my assumptions have been kind of negated. I have had to learn many new things here. 
So I think it requires continuous learning. I encourage our partners to reach out and be a part of our conversations and our movement as well. I think that's a great note to end on. Thank you so much for joining me today, Supriya. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much to Supriya Jha, Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at SAP. Since I started with SAP 18 months ago, I've been really impressed with the emphasis that the company places on diversity and inclusion. But never before have I been given such a detailed explanation on how these changes are implemented and how Supriya and her team are leading this crucial transformation of the business. But that's all for this episode. Don't forget to follow the series on your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed the show, please do give a positive rating and review. But for now, it's goodbye from me, Brooks Fate. Thanks for listening.